Good morning, Church. This is Pastor Ken. It's my privilege to open up scriptures with you today as we continue our series, Encountering God. Our theme is God's Surprising Grace for Dark Desert Nights. The Lenten journey has often been seen throughout the history of the Church as something which connects us with the desert experience in Scripture, whether it's the desert wanderings of Israel or our Lord's temptation there too. It's a powerful image in Scripture. Uh, it, can ref- it can remind us of, of isolation, of loneliness. It's a place of testing. It's often very disorienting because old ways of thinking, believing, and behavior don't seem to work anymore. We look over our shoulder and the wind has covered our footsteps with sand. We look ahead and all we see is a shimmering mirage. Everything we thought we knew is suddenly up for grabs. The world, our understanding of ourselves and our place in the world, even our our thoughts about God suddenly evaporate in the desert heat. As one author has helpfully pointed out, we don't choose our deserts. We are led into them. And they can take many forms. There can be the emotional deserts when we we don't feel loved or appreciated. Uh, There can be the physical deserts when we enter a time of pain or disease or uh, debilitating circumstances. And then there's, of course, the economic uh, deserts, too, and so much uncertainty, particularly in, in our own day of COVID-19 and the state of emergency that's been declared. Well, Abraham experienced the desert in powerful ways in the chapter that we've just read. At the end of chapter 14, uh, he comes back after rescuing Lot, and uh, he's, he's able to reaffirm his commitment to, to Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, and the God of heaven and earth. And he says, you know, I I belong to him. And then chapter 15 opens for us, and and the Lord comes to him, and he says, don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great reward. I'm your protector. I am the best thing that has ever happened to you or will ever happen to you. I'm yours. And that's that's great news. That's astounding news. And it's something that, that Abraham hears from Yahweh himself. It's not secondhand information. Uh, it's not a text. It's coming from God's own voice. And in Abraham's world, uh, this was an, an important thing to hear because Abraham's world was a place of tribal violence, of land wars, of, of danger all around. Uh, they were living in tents like nomads. They couldn't hide behind a fortified wall. So they were vulnerable. And now God says, don't worry, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. But look at Abram's response. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. It's, it's you know, it's, it's Abram's daring dialogue, if you will. He, he talks to God and he basically says, it all sounds very nice, but it doesn't change my situation. I, I still don't have a son. And things get even more interesting because he, he actually goes on and, and he's, he, says, he says, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. 
And it, it's as if he said, you know, you you haven't kept your part of the the agreement. You've you. I, I mean, I, I left home. I, I left everything behind. I did exactly as you asked me to. I put everything out on a line. I went out on a limb. I, I trusted you, but you haven't pulled through. It's astonishing, but I think it's real. It's how, how faith works in a real world. It's a conversation that can be honest and open and raw. Abram looks at the facts. He sees the promises and the discrepancies, and he dares to remind God that things aren't working out as he said they would. And, you know, as I, I ponder this, I, I remember that it was just a few weeks ago, the first Sunday of the year, that uh, we were reminded that God will provide for us as we looked at Genesis 22. And now suddenly, suddenly we're plunged into a state of emergency because of COVID-19, and there's so much up in the air, and we can ask too. So, hmm, is God only about nice words and no action? Well, the amazing thing is that God doesn't rebuke Abram for his bold and bitter rebuttal. He, he doesn't say, huh, Abram, how dare you talk to me like this? Why, you little in, insolent, good-for-nothing little backbiter, I could reduce you to nothing with a snap of my fingers and zap you to smithereens. No, God recognized the pain. He heard the cry of faith. He saw the discouragement and the anguish. Abram and Sarah had already lived 10 years in Canaan, not 10 days or 10 weeks, but 10 years of waiting, hoping, trusting, 10 years without a child. And now, you know, he's, he's got no answer and he's, he's discouraged. Well, how will God respond? Well, God calmly restates the promise again. He reaffirms what he's promised before, but then something else important happens. God takes Abram outside and he says to him, look up at the star, at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You know, that's fascinating. And here's where we encounter God's gracious encouragement. I mean, God is talking with him. God says, no, Abraham, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to do exactly what I said I would do. And you would have thought it would, could have been enough for, for Abraham to say, okay, God, if that's what you say, I'll, I'll trust you. You said it. I believe it. That settles it. Sorry for daring to question you. But, but no, God understood that Abraham needed something more. And so he, opened up, he opens up the magnificent book of nature. He could have performed a miracle, but instead he invites Abram to look at the stars. Stars are amazing. They hold so many secrets of the universe. There are millions of stars. And God says, this is how many children you're going to have. Those stars had been there long before Abram was born. He could have gone out on any night prior to this one and been impressed with the stars. But now things would be different. Stargazing would never be the same. You know, I think there's some practical applications here. And that is that we need to learn to see God's presence in nature. 
I think we've all had times in our lives where we feel terribly lonely, forsaken, or even forgotten, and God seems distant. We don't have a sense of the presence of God. You remember that Jesus said, look at the birds. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't have barns, but yet God provides for them. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that you know, God could have said, okay, everybody eats the same, cracked corn or black sunflower seeds for everyone, nice and easy. But no, you know, some, some birds eat seeds and others drink nectar and others eat roadkill and some peck holes in incredibly, with incredibly powerful bills. Some fish, others catch insects in flight, and he provides for each one. There's, there's an amazing attention to detail. That's how our God is. And so learn to look at nature and see God there. Look at the stars. Look at the buds on the trees right now. Look at the tulips coming up in the, in the garden. Look at the stars. What's Abram's response? Well, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. He believed Yahweh. We have to realize that Abram's condition hadn't changed. It wasn't that a servant came running with a message from Sarah that suddenly, you know, the pregnancy test turned out to be positive. It wasn't that suddenly God, the creator of the universe, had planted an embryo in, in Sarah's womb. No, no, his circumstances hadn't changed. He's still childless Abraham. And yet, and yet he believed. And God counted him as righteous, as just. And it's a theme that comes back time and again in Scripture. It's a pivotal verse in the history of salvation. It's a description of what faith looks like. And listen, what else God does? God reiterates the promise of the land, not just of a son. He says, he says I'm Yahweh, and, and let me clarify something. It's, it's not that you have kept your part of the bargain, and now it's up to me. No, no, the real story is I brought you out of Ur. And I did so with a specific purpose to give you this land. I might be your protector, your, your great reward, your shield, but I understand that you need a place to live, that this relationship we have needs to be lived out in the real world, not floating in outer space, not in the realm of the future. No, I'm giving you this land. Good news. But notice how Abram still has lingering questions. Okay, Lord, you've convinced me about my son, but, but how can I know that I'll inherit it? The stars are nice, but I'm down here. I need something more. And, and Abram dares to question God, even though God has so mercifully accommodated himself to a struggle of faith. And so, you know, God doesn't get upset and throw up his arms and say, I'm don't you get this? I, I'm the supreme sovereign Lord of the universe. I'm talking to you. If you can't trust me, who can you trust? No, no, for now the dialogue is over and God takes a different route. He, takes, he tells Abram to take up three animals and, and he says, get a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And, and he, he does that. And then he has to cut them in half. 
Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse before, or a, a butcher shop, and not not in the front part, but in the back part. You know, there's there's powerful saws, and it's not exactly nice and clean, but at least there, there's stainless steel and white tiles and boots and power washing, so there's a minimal mess. But Abram would have had no such tools. He probably would have used an axe to hack these animals into two halves, and it would have been a real mess. And he does so in the presence of God. He lays one half of the animal opposite the other ones, and the birds lay there. And, and of course, the vultures smell the blood, and, and they come down, and Abraham chases them away with monotonous persistence. And then darkness falls on him. A deep, a profound sleep comes over him. This is no ordinary darkness. This is something horrible and intense. But in sleep, Abram is passive. It's not his place to talk at this moment. He needs to watch, to listen, to observe. And God speaks to reiterate the promise again. It's the same words again and again and again. Look at God's tremendous patience. And then in the middle of all of this, something strange takes place. In verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces. And the author, the narrator, reminds us that it was on that day that Yahweh made, that he literally cut a covenant with Abraham. In a strange ritual that seems most unusual to us, God gave Abraham an incredibly encouraging object lesson using that symbols, using symbols that Abraham would have understood. In Abraham's time, it was customary that when two people made a covenant or, or an agreement or a treaty, they would do what is described for us. It was a kind of a, a self-curse in which the two people making the agreement would walk between the butchered animals and say, let me die like these cut up animals if I don't keep my part of the covenant. May I be hacked to pieces, ripped apart, if I fail to be faithful to the promises I'm making today. And yet, this is precisely where Abram's quest for assurance about the fulfillment of the promises of God comes into deep, deep trouble. How can Abram be a partner with God, on equal footing with God, if the fulfillment of the promises of God depended on Abram? Even a little bit, it would be a hopeless case, whether it's 50-50 or 75-25 or even 95% God, 5% Abraham. There would simply be no assurance because we always fail. We always fail. It's part of our sinful DNA. It's the way we've been wired. One day, Abram's willing to give up everything and follow Yahweh into the desert. And the next day, he's prepared to tell a lie because he's afraid of us for his life. And knowing that we can't be entrusted with the faithfulness of God's purpose for the world, he shows a better way. Abram is asleep. He just watches this in a dream. God himself walks through the animals, in between the animals, in the symbols of the smoking fire pot and the burning torch. And he shows Abram that it's all of grace, that at the end of the day, it depends on God 
not Abraham. In that dark desert night, it is God who will assure that his promises come to pass. Centuries later, there was darkness at Calvary. And in that darkness, the fire of God's wrath, a fire that was fueled by his love for his people, burned hotly and consumed Jesus Christ our Lord. There in the darkness, his body was pierced, his hands and his feet nailed, his blood dropped to the ground, and his body, his back was racked and raw from the whipping. There were vultures flying overhead of Calvary. But it was there that he prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It was there that he cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those three hours of terrifying darkness, Jesus experienced that shocking reality of absence of his father. And it wasn't a dream. It was as real as the thorns that pressed on his brow as real as the nails that cut into his hands and feet. In that infinitely dark moment, God himself ensured that the blood of the covenant would forever seal the promise of salvation for those who have put their trust in God. In the middle of the blood and gore, in the middle of the horrible darkness of Calvary, God walks alone as the fire from which he called Moses in the desert, as the fire that guided his people on their journey to the promised land. And in large letters, he assures us that salvation is all of grace. And Jesus cries out, it is finished. This is amazing grace. It's great news for you and me. Because, you know, there are no perfect people in the world. And yet all too often we think that God is looking for perfection in, in our lives. And, and we, we get discouraged because we mess up. But that's when he takes us gently outside. And he tells us to read the signs, to discern how he works. And when we still stagger at the thought of grace, not being able to earn anything, he reminds us, I'm the covenant God. At the end of the day, this does not depend on you. It can't. It depends on me, on what I do for you, on what I do in you. And so God takes us to the baptismal font, and he splashes water on us, and he says, you belong to me. I'm your God, and I love you. I promise to forgive you and give you my spirit. And if that's not enough... Our Lord Jesus Christ spreads the covenantal banquet before us at the Lord's Supper with the symbols of broken bread and poured out wine. He understands that you and I stagger at the greatness of his promises, especially when things seem to go on in a different direction than what we had expected, or when it takes longer than what we had hoped for, or when we're not nearly as spiritual as we thought we should be by now. You know, we, we have no guarantee that the pandemic will be over in two weeks or, or a month and then things will be back to normal. These are, these are uncertain times. But in the light of the cross and the resurrection, we can also know that COVID-19 will not have the last word. 
And so God comes to us and he says, look, you know, my word is the story of my grace and my grace is always undeserved and it is enough. And he meets us in unlikely places again and again, in the dark desert night, in a stable, in a cattle trough, through the signs of a rag or a star, of a Roman cross, symbol of torture and shame, at the baptismal font, the bread and wine at the Lord's table, signs and symbols that we can see, things that remind us of God's grace. And he says, trust me, trust me. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. And I've done everything necessary so that you can enjoy life with me and I will walk with you. This is my world. And I hold the world in my hands even as I hold you close to my heart. Trust me and everything will be okay. Because after the dark night comes not only the cross, but the joy of resurrection. And that is what gives us real and lasting hope. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, in this time of isolation, we can identify with Abraham's desert experience in ways that perhaps surprise us. These are confusing times. These are uncertain times. Thank you for reminding us once again that your grace is more than sufficient for us. Thank you that you are with us in this time. And we look forward to the day when we can again worship together as a community at first. And in the meantime, may the memory of the shared table sustain us. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, on his cross, on his resurrection. Help us to live in hope and to be people of hope. And it is to you that we will give all honor and glory and praise. Amen.